Good afternoon and welcome to Midday Moms. This is Dorothy Polarski uh, welcoming each and every one of you that are signing on. Um, I would ask as you sign on if you can say hello to us in the chat box. Um, you know, tell us when you're where you're from. If uh, you know, if you're Isabel from India, say hello. If oh, Martine from uh, Mississauga, hello. Uh, Martine was so excited to join us today. It's great to see you, Martine. Um, it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful session. Um, so please tell us where you're from. Say hello. One of the things that I find so hard in, in running these sessions is not seeing your beautiful faces because whenever we host a mother's group, you know, I'm always reaching out and hugging and and all that stuff. And so uh, if we see your name in the chat box, then we know that there's actually somebody there. Uh, I, I also wanted to extend a big, big warm welcome. We have a very special guest, um, uh, Josephine Naviso, all the way from Portugal. <laughs> Josephine, can you tell us a little bit about yourself for those moms maybe that have never heard of you? I can't imagine, but uh, yeah, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, thank you, Dorothy. It's so, oh, it's just great to be with you. Um, I'm um, uh, uh, actually, I think I first uh, identify myself as a Catholic homeschooling mom, even though my daughter's 35 years old. And we have a, a little grandson who's six and it's illegal to homeschool, but we, we do anyway. <laughs> he goes to school and he homeschools. And I wish uh, there had been Catholic mom's groups at the time when I was homeschooling. My daughter's now 35 and we were the first uh, family in our district to, to homeschool and one of the first in our whole county to homeschool. And we did this out of a pure conviction that the schools were working against the values that we were trying to instill in, in our own child. I'm also an author and I've been writing really all my life. My first story was published when I was 18. And then it took 10 years before my neck, before a book was published. So at 28, my first book was published. And since then, I've had 104 books, most of them for children, and some of them for Catholic children. And my daughter and I launched as a homeschooling project. We launched our own little press, and now we just published our 11th book. So that's pretty much And I live in Portugal, and I live 50 steps, literally 50 steps from my door to the church door. <laughs> oh my gosh, so a, a big, big warm welcome, Josephine. Um, just just so thrilled to, to finally meet you. Uh, some of you that are joining us today maybe have uh, read the children's book that, uh, you know, I self-published, Monica Loves Dresses, and I Love You More Than Piece of Pie. And at that time, I had reached out to, to Josephine because I had fallen in love with her books and she was so supportive and if you don't have these books you got to get on Amazon just as soon as this meeting is over okay uh, the weight of, uh, of the mass is a beautiful beautiful tale uh, grandma's scrapbook is another beautiful beautiful tale uh, take it to the queen is 
another beautiful, beautiful book. I remember in becoming a mother and uh, just seeing like all of the trash that was out there for children. And, you know, you, you sort of give birth to this beautiful baby and, and you want to give it nothing but the best. And yet the best wasn't out there. And so when I stumbled upon Josephine's book, it just like felt a, like a gift from God. Um, and so I just want to go back to the chat and say hello to a few people. So Liz Garcia from St. Dominic's Parish. Um, Liz and I met in kindergarten, so we've known each other for a very long time. Um, so hello, Liz. Liz is asking, where in Portugal are you located right now? I live about 10 minutes outside of Fatima. So I'm in the cent central Portugal. And I, people from this town can walk. I've, real, I've become an old lady. I, I, I fell last uh, year and broke my back. So I don't do the walking, but people can walk to the sanctuary. And very often we have little pilgrimage groups going over. So it's in the country high on a mountain. And from my, from my door, I can see the castle of Orem where the children were, were imprisoned in the, in the town of Orem. And I can see the church of Ortiga, which is where another apparition of Our Lady occurred before the apparitions of Fatima, a miraculous apparition. So it's, uh, it's so really- you're, you're, uh, you're in a spectacular spot. So uh, I hope that answers your question, Liz. Uh, Claude, uh, hi Claude. Claude is uh, from St. David's in Maple. Uh, great to see you. Uh, we missed you. I missed you too, Claude. It's good to see you again. Uh, Carmela, um, great to see you. Carmela, Liz, great to see you. Lynette, aloha from Hawaii. Wow. <laughs> I'm, uh, I've been chatting with Lynette and I keep on hoping she's going to start our first mother's group in Hawaii. I did have the opportunity to, uh, to deliver the how to start a mother's group workshop in the diocese of Honolulu. So oh, anyway, hello, Lynette. Hello, Nelsie. Um, my goodness. Hello, hello, hello. Okay, so please do, if you have any questions, please place them in the chat um, as we're chatting. For those of you that know about our ministry, welcome. For those of you that maybe this is your first time joining us, I wanted to tell you a little bit about our, on our ministry. We are faith partners with the Archdiocese of Toronto, and we're on a mission to revive the vocation of motherhood. And we do so primarily by helping parishes start Catholic moms groups. Um, yesterday, we had our first Catholic moms group meetup at St. Nicholas Parish in North Pole, Alaska. Um, today, we're uh, shipping off a starter's kit to the Cathedral of St. Peter and the chains in the uh, Diocese of Peterborough. And we've got three new mothers groups starting in the Diocese of Hamilton um, next week. So I, I just, I, I wanted to publicly thank our Blessed Mother because hand over fist, she's just been doing remarkable things for our ministry. I'm going to share just a very short two minute uh, video about our ministry for those of you that um, are new and for those of you that have seen it before maybe you can just like sing along or something <laughs> so I'm going to share the video with you come Holy Spirit I always say I have much there we go 
So we help parishes start mothers groups, um, a mothers group for moms only or mothers and tots. We also help parishes start virtual meetups. Um, again, we have full approval and a support from the Archdiocese of Toronto. And here's our short little video. Mothers, by our very nature, we are nurturing, loving caregivers. We are social beings made for friendship and community. We are also spiritual by nature, made by a loving God to know him and love him, and to pass this love of our Catholic faith on to our children. But right now, many mothers feel overextended, distracted, and exhausted. Though as Catholics, we have the community of our church, many mothers attending Mass could not name the mom sitting next to them in the pew they share. Community and support among Catholic mothers is desperately needed in this hectic and chaotic culture. Your parish needs you to bring these moms together. Hi, my name is Dorothy Polarski. I'm the founder of Catholic Moms Group. We at Catholic Moms Group are on a mission to revive the vocation of motherhood. We exist to bring together like-minded, faith-filled mothers who crave community and are focused on spiritual growth, Catholic teaching, and fellowship. Can you imagine a thriving, engaged mothers group at your parish? a group of moms in love with their Catholic faith, ready to serve other mothers no matter what stage of motherhood they're at. Can you imagine what a difference that would make at your parish? Starting a mother's group, it's not rocket science, but working with a team who's done it before and who's done it dozens and dozens of times sure does help. The Catholic Moms Group membership site is an online community that offers training, resources, and dozens of tools for parishes to help them start a mother's group quickly and efficiently. We're here to provide you with a clear path to launching a Catholic Moms Group at your parish. All of our materials are 100% Catholic. We have clearly laid out meetup plans for both moms groups and toddler groups. We are obedient to the magisterium of the Catholic Church. We have created dozens of tools that are going to save you time and energy. And besides that, we love our Blessed Mother. We constantly turn to her for her intercession. You can make a huge impact in your parish, so join us. We are revolutionizing the way parishes start mothers groups by providing parishes with a Catholic mothers group starter kit and by nourishing and training a community of Catholic mothers group leaders across the world. It's time to start a mothers group at your parish. Join us today. So today we are here um, to talk about 
Josephine's brand new book. She's got a, a third book called Portrait of the Sun, A Tale of Love. And we're, we're just so excited to have uh, Josephine here all the way from Portugal uh, to talk about her work, to talk about the new book. And uh, yeah, just to, to, to get to know her, you know, we're, it's such an honor and such a privilege uh, to have you here. So thank you, Josephine. Thank you so Dorothy. much for joining us. Now, again, um, you know, Josephine did a, a great job uh, introducing herself. So I'm not going to take much more time, but she's published over 104 uh, children's books. She's won more awards than I can possibly recount. And yet, you know, she's just a woman with so much humility and so much tenderness. And she's working on a, a new book. And that's part of the reason that she's in Fatima. Um, Josephine, tell us about your uh, trilogy of books. Um, tell us, did you know that this was going to be a trilogy when you wrote your you know, first book? Tell us a little bit about your journey. Okay, Dorothy. Actually, the first book, uh, The Weight of a Mass, A Tale of Faith, I, we had no idea this was turning, going to turn out to be a trilogy. I see that there are some, some of our participants are asking about writing and they're interested in writing. Well, this is a book that I couldn't give away to regular publishers. I sent it out to all my regular publishers. You know, I've been published by Simon & Schuster and Scholastic and uh, Orchard, uh, uh, Rizzol, and I sent it all around. No one wanted to publish this book. Well, my daughter and I had started as a kind of homeschooling um, exercise. I wanted her to understand how a business runs. And she had always come with me to my editor's meetings. And she'd been very involved as I uh, what, do, did my author's programs. So I wanted, so we took three books that, of mine that were out of print. And it's relatively easy to put them back into print. And we started this very small publishing company. So one day she said to me, mom, why don't we do the weight of a mass ourselves? So that's how that began. We uh, went to a, uh, the Bologna Children's Book Fair and found, yes, uh, we found a wonderful artist, Catalin Sigetti, and we contracted with her and it took over 100 emails of art direction because uh, you know it's there. There's a lot of symbolism in the art, and we loved working with her. And it's it, she brought so much, so much undercurrent to it, under a lot of theology to it. So we published the weight of a mass, and all the publishers who told us, "Oh, no one will ever buy this book," were were dead wrong because it has been our bestseller for 20, almost 18 or 20 years. I forgot how many years it's been now. So it's been our bestseller. It's my personal career bestseller. So all the naysayers in the secular world didn't understand how much mothers needed to have a, a, a kind of jumping off point for discussions about Jesus and the Blessed Sacrament and about the importance of the Mass. So for us, it's been such such an amazing blessing to have all the feedback and, and from people who um, who said it has made a difference in their lives with their children. And on the underflaps of the of this book, we have 
theological tips that give insights into the art and into the the text. Oh, I, you might have an old, old version of it. Does it have it there? No, you may have the first okay. edition because okay. we then published it with, with under, under flaps that give theological insights as uh, conversation starters. Well, the one about Our Lady, uh, take it to the queen, um, we decided just to do a companion volume. And we didn't know yet that we were doing a trilogy on the theological virtues. We still didn't know this. And even though we called it a tale of hope, it took a reader, a mom, to write to us and say, oh, I can't wait until you publish a tale of charity. And Marie and I looked at each other and said, oh, oh, faith, hope, love, faith, hope, oh, we're working on it. So, so it wasn't even our idea. It was an idea that came from, from a reader who said she, she, she was waiting for it. So this is how I wrote then. This, so the first book is about our Lord and in the Blessed Sacrament and the miracle of his being there. And the second is about Our Lady's role in our salvation and how very, very, indis how really in indispensable, not important, how indispensable she is for that. And the third is the, the divine will, the how the Trinity is all of, un of one will and that how Our Lady is, is part of that being a spouse of the Holy Spirit, being mother of the son, and uh, being daughter of the father, how she's all of that. And then it's also about us and what we wait for in the, um, in the restoration, because Jesus taught us only one prayer, only the Our Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And Dorothy, I say, thy will be done already. <laughs> I will be done already. All right, enough of this. <laughs> so get us back to it. So this is, it's also about that. It's about how, uh, how the, how eventually the father's will will reign again and Jesus will come again. So that's the trilogy. It's, it's the essential points and the jumping off points for discussion uh, about the faith with children. So yeah. I gave you a answer. <laughs> yeah, Josephine, I, I know that there are, uh, you know, a lot of moms that kind of have it in their hearts that they would like to be, you know, a, a children's author. And um, a, a lot of them, um, you know, maybe have gotten opposition. And, you know, I, I know that the route that I went with my first book was self-publishing because I yeah. thought, okay, no one is going to, you know, and so that that meant, assuming the financial risk it meant sourcing you know the illustrators can you maybe speak to mothers who have an idea on their heart and they can't seem to get like a door that's opening mm -hmm. for them uh, can you make a you know encourage those moms in some way yes i would say that just write from the heart write what you want to write but do keep in mind that the doors don't just open. I mean, even I have 104 books published and it wasn't until about maybe 50 books back that my books were being acquired by the same editor. So I often felt like someone on the outside rubbing the frost off the window and looking in and seeing, I like, how do I break in? Even though I really was having some success. So for me, it was perseverance, 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 
And publishing my own book, I think, was the breakthrough. Having my own little publishing house was the breakthrough. It is an, an enormous, enormous responsibility and an enormous expense. We, you know, put up the ranch for it. <laughs> Actually, it's just a little house. We put up the house for it. And thank God, really, it's been, you know, it's been sustaining us. But uh, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't, advise going that route unless someone really were committed to putting day and night into it. I would first say get uh, guides for um, children's editors, different editorial houses, look at what they're looking for. There are guides and there are different, the, the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators will puts out a list and they will, they have a, a support system and mothers can look into it in that way. But like I said, I couldn't give away the weight of a mass and it turned out to be my all time bestseller. <laughs> That's uh, very, very, very encouraging because, you know, I think a lot of us have tried different things and you keep on trying yeah. and trying and trying and, and it's a little bit exhausting. H how do you deal or how did you deal with naysayers? Because I think, you know, um, you're, you're a prolific Catholic author, which has touched millions and millions of lives around the world. And, and to hear that you've had naysayers gives me hope, right? Oh. <laughs> because we always think, Josephine, she didn't have any naysayers. She's just like a bada boom, bada bing success. Oh. You know, all of my papers are collected by the University of Minnesota in the Curlin collection. And one of the things I have three pallets of things went over to them when I moved to Europe because we were emptying everything out and I've deeded everything to them. I say this because maybe half a pallet was rejection letters. I had to buy not the not a little folder, not little uh, snap folders, you know, ring binders. They were the big thick ones, you know, that had like the four inch rings in them, <laughs> and they were A, B, C. <laughs> well, no, some of them were combined A and B, C and D. H had two folders because there are two binders because there are a lot of publishers that start with H and they could that could reject me. <laughs> so wow. I had a I had a shelf stuffed with rejection letters. This is what I would do. A rejection came in and I'd go, yippee, now I have another, now I can send it to someone else. <laughs> <laughs> really? Eh? <laughs> That's how I looked at it. <laughs> so, so, so you've got these shelves of rejection letters. Yes. Where did you get the where did you get the spiritual strength or the spark? Like, you know, sometimes I get two or three rejections because I'm, you know, approaching parishes to start mom's group. Yes, yes. And, you know, I get one rejection and I kind of feel like, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so how, where do you get that supernatural perspective and that strength um, to deal with that rejection? Tell me about that. That's a very, really very good question because I've had those moments where rejections have just shot me between the eyes too, but I, uh, and um, it's not as, what I would do, when I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, went off the, the track on what I was going to say about how, how one survives rejection. I think I would think I would understand that the thing that I was trying to sell or publish, 
inherently had some value. And I thought eventually, oh, this is what happened. Um, there was a time when we couldn't, we could only submit to one publisher at a time. I had forgotten this because it's so long ago. You could only submit to one publisher at a time and you would have to wait for, the, for their response before you could send this manuscript to someone else. This was in the beginning years. You know, I started this in the, in the, in the 70s. I started sending things off. So I would, at five o'clock, there would come this blue feeling over me. And I wondered why every day at five o'clock do I feel blue? And it finally occurred to me, well, end of day, business closed, nobody's going to call me today. <laughs> I, I've got 20 manuscripts out to 20 different houses, you know, and that no one's call, no one's calling me. Then we the the publishing field opened up and you could take the same manuscript and send it to as many people as you want. So Dorothy, the, the first time I did this, because it was very new for me, I took the same manuscript, made 10 copies of it and sent it off to 10 different editors. And then I compared their rejection letters. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so you, I, they went from, this is absolutely not for us. You know, we don't, we don't like this at all to, wow, this is really good. Send us more. We want to see more and everything in between. So that experience taught me that it's really pretty subjective. So as long as oh. I believed in the material, eventually editor number 11 or 12 or 112 would would be interested in it too so i just persevered and truly it really was a supernatural kind of push because um it, it's i wasn't getting a lot of 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 uh, i i wasn't publishing there were times like where a year two years would go by three years before i got some kind of of uh, you know, some kind of some sale that somebody would say, this is just right for us. And we want to make this into a book. So I, I want to, you know, publicly congratulate you. Oh my goodness for that perseverance. And, and, and I'd like to encourage the moms that are here to, um, you know, if you've been given a God given mission to persevere with that mission, I find that, a, you know, a lot of, a lot of people don't have like that kind of mental toughness just to yes. keep on going on in the face of uh, in the face of failure, in the face of rejection, in the face of the world not understanding you. Yes. Now, so you've got, you know, take it to the queen, you've got yes. way to the mass, you've got a hundred books. I don't have all hundred here, but one thing I wanted to encourage each and every one of you is uh, I want you to go to you know Amazon Amazon after we're done and I say you know go ahead and order uh, 10 copies of the weight of the mass go ahead and order 10 copies of uh, take it to the queen and then you have this beautiful perfect gift on your shelf so when you're going to visit a nephew when you're going to visit um, you know, the children's school. And uh, I love ordering 10 copies of my favorite book, because I almost feel that in doing that, 
I am evangelizing, right? So I know if I give this to my, you know, nephew who's not practicing the faith and the mom says, oh, it's a beautiful picture, but <laughs> that, that way I've snuck it in there, right? And, and then if you also have them on hand, they make beautiful Christmas gifts, beautiful hostess gifts. Um, I always say, if you're going to spend your money, spend your money in a way that's going to support Catholic uh, evangelization. So I do want to encourage you. Uh, the books are beautiful. Now, can you tell us a little bit more specifically? I'm just going to share the screen again for just a minute. Um, now, some people, where did she go? So can everybody see that, the, the portrait of a son? Can you see it, Josephine? I, I No, I can't. I just see the chat box and I see a black screen okay. where it says Darby has started screen sharing. Okay, so I don't know, but I hope everyone else can see the cover of the Portrait of the Sun. That's what it shows on my screen. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about the book, uh, Portrait of the Sun? Okay, it's, um, it's it, it hasn't come out, so no one really has, has seen it. You're really just reviewers have seen it. Um, so it's, I'll tell you everything about it. It's the story, it's a story of superlatives because it's dealing with heavenly realities. It's the richest man in the world has the most complete and beautiful collection of art in the world. And he, the only thing he, he was missing is a son. So he, a son is given, his son comes, is born to him and he shares this love of this collection with the son. Well, the son turns to turns out to be the most kindly, wonderful man as, as he grows, wonderful young man. And he helps everyone who comes to his father's mansion. He's also aided by their estate keeper, who is the overseer of all this, of their big staff, and who um, is more than a mother to the son. Well, one day, the son um, gets called to to, uh, to serve his country in a foreign war. And we set it in a kind of Russia, in a kind of World War I, uh, at the time of Our Lady of Fatima's apparition, of apparitions here, um, and set it in because of her warnings about atheism. And the son uh, lives in the trenches with his comrades in arms. And the only thing that makes the war bearable for them is his descriptions to his friends of his father's mansion. And he takes them through the mansion room by room and describes the beautiful artwork that is there and what each artwork represents and what it means. Well, one terrible day, uh, a stormy day, a telegram arrives that the son has died in the war. And the father goes out into his garden uh, and the thunder racks the, the world and shakes it up and everything seems to be in mourning. And the father mournfully goes into his study to, uh, to grieve his son and the servants wonder if he'll ever come out. Well, three days later, while the father is having a beautiful dream, the uh, estate keeper knocks on the door of his study. And there are all kinds of little theological touches. She knocks on the door of the study. The father is asleep on his desk, which is actually the, the figure of an altar. And that, because that's his, that's God, the father's habitual workplace, the altar. So it comes, the, the estate keeper comes in with a 
a soldier badly um, uh, wounded in a wheelchair. And he says to the father, I knew your son in the, in the foreign war. And the father's heart thrills because someone who knew his son has made it to his house. So the father, the, the, the soldier gives the father a gift and it's all wrapped in newspapers that are about war and rumors of war. And when the father and the estate keeper open it up, it's a portrait of his son. And it's very unschooled and really amateurish, but the father recognizes, he says, that's my son. And the, and the young man, and, but his face is badly disfigured. It's piteously beat up. And the soldier tells the father that your son received those wounds saving many a man. And I was the one he was carrying the moment he was shot down and killed. Oh my gosh. So the father takes the portrait of the son from the soldier. It takes it and takes a, a big painting of Adam and Eve, because of course Jesus undid what Adam and Eve did, takes the painting of Adam and Eve off the off the mantle and puts up this little portrait of the oh son. My God. And the soldier says, But sir, that's your place of honor. Your your son told us that that's the place of honor in the house. And the father says, follow me, tell me everything else my son told you about my house. So the estate keeper wheels the, the, the wounded soldier and the soldier describes what that painting means, what that statue means. And because the, the son's word is now on everything, everything has new possibility. Everything has the possibility to be renewed and changed and enlivened. And, and he's, he's not going to stay in his study any longer. And he takes on all the charities his son has taken on and he, all the wards that were his sons become his. And he, he loves and has much more generosity and mercy toward all of creation because his son suffered for these for these friends his son suffered and died for the friends and at one day while he's staring at the portrait the spirit moves him to offer his his uh, uh, collection at auction so now this is an old an old actual scaffolding of a story that comes from the time of Charles Dickens from like the 1890s of the of this of the gift spurned. So he has this in, this inspiration to offer his uh, his auction offer his entire collection. It has become the most complete in the whole world, and of course the father is God, the father, and the collection is a metaphor for all creation, the seen and the unseen, the figurative, the literal, the abstract, things that are, that are, are all sciences and, and all knowledges and the portraits, especially because the, the son and the father used to have these discussions about these portraits and these landscapes, and they entered into the very lives of the people that were in the portraits, as of course they enter into our lives. And they're very, very interested, minutely interested. So they decide to have this auction on Christmas Eve and all the learned come, you know, all the people who they're rubbing their palms together, they're going to get a piece of this best uh, collection in the whole world. And they have this, they have it at the fathers. There's a very specific reason why I have it set in Poland in Krakow at this, oh, yes, at the Cathedral of St. Stanislaus. And so they have it 
they have the they that's the father's house that's really that's the that's that's heaven so they have the they have this uh auction and the auctioneer begins by showing the portrait of the son and people are scoffing take that terrible thing away Oh, that face is so wretched. I can't stand to look at it. Where are the masterpieces? Why are you showing us that piece of junk? And they and the the auctioneer says the is the estate is unyielding on this point. On this point, this is the painting we must begin with. So who will buy the portrait of the sun? And everyone says, no, bring on the masterpieces. I want that mobile. I want that illuminated manuscript. What's going on here? And there's this big uproar. But in the crowd is one old man who we've seen through the book. And he's the one who never quite knocked at the door, but the estate keeper always drew him in and took care of him. He's the one who never befriended the father and the son, but he looks at the portrait and it's alive. He sees the, he sees the, son's, the son as though there, and he remembers how good the son was and he can't help himself. He stayed and his heart is moved because or the secret, the secret thoughts of his heart come tumbling out because he sees the suffering son. And he stands up and says, I'll take it. I've never wanted anything more in my life. Will $7 do? And everyone's like, give it to him. And the auctioneer is going $7. Will anyone offer more? No, move on. Come on, give it to him. Get $7, get rid of it. So the auctioneer goes going once, going twice, boom, to that man, stand, that gentleman standing there. And he gathers up his papers. He has a big stack of papers on the podium. And Ted Schlenderfrist, who is our amazing illustrator on this book did such a just a spectacular job all the way through so he gathers up all his papers and he says it's on christmas eve and he says well good night ladies and gentlemen and a very merry christmas to you all and they said what so for the third time there's this big uproar in the room it's like go on with the auction he says i'm sorry it's over they said, over how can it be over and he's walking to the old man he's taking his seven dollars and he says Everything went to this gentleman here. He's now owns the father's entire collection. How could that be? And he says, well, you see, ladies and gentlemen, according to the wishes of the father, whoever takes the son gets everything. So, <laughs> oh my goodness so of course that's the metaphor for us we take the sun and we we everything is ours everything is ours we have a share in whatever is god's and and we are god's children we are his, we are heirs to everything he owns so anyone in that room could have had everything had they only accepted the sun but they didn't. They saw the son as ugly and wretched because he was all beat up and because he, uh, you know, it wasn't something of, of worldly prestige. Oh, so. what a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful story. Wow. So when will the story be available? Well, you know, it's on its way right this minute um from from the printer to the to uh, the distributor in chicago you know i'm here in portugal and i don't actually physically touch the books i only had four copies because the printer sent them as samples and that's it i don't and so um but they they i they should be there momentarily at least by next month and then the official publication date is november but um, people can, you know, ask about it now, and or I, I, 
I'm not sure precisely when they're going to be up for sale, but I know that it's, uh, it's coming. I know that in November. Yeah, it's coming. Yeah, it's, it's going to be there. And we always publish in hard and soft cover because um, I know that the traditional way to publish is to do the hard cover first. And when that's exhausted um, and people have, then people could buy the soft cover, but we always do both hard and soft because we want to make the story available to everyone. The hardcover is a is a nice thing to have if it's a gift book and and you want to preserve it in a certain way. But the soft cover is exactly the same book. It's just a softer cover, but mm -hmm. it makes the makes the price more accessible to everyone. People who who want to have it, can, or people can go to the library and 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 look. I mean, today I don't know with COVID uh, if it's not as easy, but um, but I, I encourage people to go to the libraries and to and to read the books. They don't necessarily have to purchase them. Yeah, and and, and someone saying here, uh, Michelle is saying these make excellent gifts uh, for the first communicants or those joining the faith. You know, yeah. and mm -hmm. um, I don't know about you moms out there, but when when my kids were little, like you know, many 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 times over. You know, I'd be sitting in the, you know, on my queen size bed with my kids around me and I would just read these stories over and over again. And those stories that I used to read to them over and over again, they're in a special crate. And even though like my kids right now are, you know, 26 and soon to be 24, um, when we go through that crate of books, I, I, it just stirs up so many memories. Yes. And so it's a nice legacy, you know, to leave your grandchildren and you can, you know, write a, 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 an inscription, you know, with love from your grandma, please never forget the son or, um, yes. you know, like sometimes I find that we, 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 not that we give junk, we don't intend to give junk. But, you know, when we give a gift like this to our grandchildren or to our children, or even, um, I always like giving books to, to uh, school teachers, right? So yes. if my child is in grade three and you give them a book like this instead of a coffee mug, you know, yeah. you could actually be touching the whole classroom with the faith <laughs> because you, you've done something like that. So uh, I do encourage you. Now, I do have to ask you, Josephine, it's, it's just very clear to me through your work that, um, that you love our Blessed Mother. And, uh, you know, before we started the session today, um, Josephine and I were praying. We were praying for each and every one of you coming on. And, and um, there was something about the, and, and we prayed a decade of the rosary for your intentions before we started. And, and Josephine, there was, there was something about the way that you prayed to our blessed mother that just made my heart, you know, <laughs> Come on. Can, you, can you tell us a little bit about your love for our blessed mother? Um, I know that you're, you've got just tons of knowledge about you know apparitions and and if there's one thing I could do today is if I could give each and every one of you the love that Josephine and I have for our blessed mother and, and give it to you you know um, can you tell us a little bit about that well this is for me our lady is real 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 she's not just a uh, 
a sweet devotional idea. She's real, real flesh and blood. And I believe she really is the highest honor of our race. I really, really believe that she is the new Eve in that the, the ill was human. So the remedy had to be human. So God, the father from all, from, from the beginning had her in mind to, there's no one, no one who has her position in relation to us. We're not worthy really to approach Jesus. Of course we do. But if we go through her, we really are then have a, um, an advocate and she is not just, well, I'll, I'll tell you one thing that I'm working on in my book that will, I think, make it, uh, uh, make my, my understanding of Our Lady clearer. When we were speaking or chatting earlier, I said that I could prove scientifically and technologically that Our Lady really did appear. So she really, really made apparition. And this seems something impossible to do. But I really, uh, if I begin the, the, the reasoning, you'll finish it, you really will finish it. At when Our Lady appears, usually, what do, what do the seers generally hear before she comes? I mean, what surprises them before she comes? Thunder. And it's not thunder. And they look around and they think it's going to be a storm. There's going to be a storm and there's not. And this happens in so, so many of the apparitions. And what do they see be just before she appears? Lightning. And they look around thinking there's a storm, but it's like, and they describe it as thunder. That's not thunder. Lightning. That's not lightning. So what can this really be? Let's say, for instance, here in Fatima, she appeared in 1917. Chuck Yeager, 30 years later, flew a plane that broke the sound barrier. And what does breaking the sound barrier sound like? Thunder. So when Our Lady, you see, you already figured it out. When Our Lady in truly in a body, because Our Lady isn't like, she's, yes, she's human, she's like us, but she's substantially, she's infinitely inferior to the creator, but substantially superior to us in that she is sinless. And what are the qualities? There are five qualities there of the, when someone is sinless, they, they have a transfigured body. Or when Our Lady has said, even in Medjugorje, she says, it's an error to preach reincarnation. When you die, you will be given a transfigured body like mine. And what are the qualities of this transfigured body? Their incorruptibility, immutability. Um, I forgot what the word is called. They can go through walls. I mean, Jesus showed us this so, so much in the scripture. He had that he had a transfigured body even before death. And he shows that so many times he can walk on water. He can, um, he's reading in the, he's reading script, he's reading the scrolls in the temple and all eyes are on him and they go to seize him and he hides from them. How can he hide? I mean, really, if the priest is talking at the podium and in a church and we all go to, where is he? How could he hide? They bring him to the precipice and they want to push him off and he goes away in the midst of them and no one sees him. What can this be? And of course, you know, then even of course, after the, after the resurrection, he 
goes through walls. And of course, Jesus can bilocate. He can billionth times bilocate because he does in the Holy Eucharist because he wants to. He is there entirely in the Holy Eucharist. So Our Lady, having been sinless, has this these attributes of her own body. And this is why at every apparition, she looks different, but it's a real body, just as Jesus ate real fish. Because, and he said to Thomas, put your, hand, put your hand in here, feel, 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 I'm real. You know, It's just a different body. It's the body that Adam and Eve had, but Adam and Eve lost that because they, they fell and sinned. And when they sinned, what was the, the what happened they were n- no longer vested in light and they looked at each other and it's a little bit like ew you're naked cover up <laughs> i didn't know you were naked under all that light i didn't know you looked like that <laughs> that's probably anything funnier than than, really, than like a naked person so cover up cover up so they did they lost that transformation <laughs> they lost the quality of transfiguration so i oh and and also in this as a sideline as a side uh idea that we were talking earlier about the virgin birth how is this difficult our lord has a body that can go through walls. Our lady has a body that when she appears can be, can look into, she, this is one of the qualities of a, of a transfigured body. They can look, have any aspect they want. They can look like the people they appear to. They look like the, the, you know, the skin color, the body, the body shape, everything of the people they appear to. How, how is it hard that Jesus passes through our lady without violating her virginity? Virgin birth is a very easy understanding. He can go through walls. He can certainly go through Our Lady. So (laughs) at her apparitions, boom, we hear this thunder and then a flash like lightning. And there she is. So what it is, is a real body. Not our bodies, because our bodies are subject to entropy. We die, we get sick, we 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 can we die eventually, but our lady doesn't. Mm-hmm. Our lady is the sinless one, and her body is always perfection. And our lady our lady doesn't doesn't die. She probably died for a little time in imitation of her son, but immediately he brought her he brought her to heaven she wanted to do that in imitation of her son but even jesus was not subject to death jesus wasn't subject to death until he took on sin before that that's why his passion and the suffering he went through is we we can't think of it just of oh a man got beat up so badly you know this man no we have to understand that he that any other man would have died so much sooner than the cross would have died of the dehydration of the blood loss of the the whippings would have died of so many of uh, uh, so much so much pain the of heart but our lord was not subject to death until he became until he took on all our sins and it's the only time in the history of in the history of the divinity that this that the holy trinity is not in an imperfect perfect connect in communion because he says to his father why have you forsaken me for that moment while he becomes sin god cannot be present and jesus the who dies for our 
for our sins and only his sacrifice, his sacrifice is prefigured by the sacrifice of, of bread and wine, by the sacrifice of animals, by the sacrifice in some cultures of other peoples, but all of those are imperfect because only the blood of the creator of blood has the value to be able to make up for the sin that of Adam and Eve. It's not a small thing that they did. They had everything given to them. They were one with the way our lady is. They were one with the Trinity and they lost all of that by sinning. They were not subject to growing old, to getting sick, to dying, to pain in childbirth, for instance. Our lady wasn't either. Our lady, so our lady during apparitions, boom, her body enters the hour atmosphere, let's say, flesh the same kind of electromagnetic flash that Jesus, when he re-enters and reanimates his dead body in the tomb, that he gives off in order to create that negative image on the, the shroud, there's that flash. And so Our Lady comes as though a storm is coming, but it's not. It's a sonic boom and it's an electromagnetic flash. So this is why I say through science and through technology, we're able to say, say that these apparitions are real and true. So Our Lady to me is not just a pious idea and she's not pie in the sky and she's not just someone we're going to meet when we die. Our Lady is present, present to us in, uh, in a way that is really substantial. And when we pray to her, she can't not be listening. Of course she's listening. So we're praying to a real person. And this is why I suppose that that feeling comes over us praying. We just, oh, she's really, she's really with us. Yeah, and it's, uh, what, what, a, what a journey you just took on. It's such a beautiful, beautiful journey. Um, you know, I, I, just a couple of things here. Um, first of all, thank you. Oh my gosh, thank you. Thank you for the, the miracle of this hour with you. It's hard to believe that, that, it, that it's almost a full hour. Oh my gosh. Um, now, I, I want to just go to the chat box here for just a minute. Michelle says, what I love best about uh, Josephine's books is that she uses the inside panels to instruct um, the tiny but very impactful and significant literary, visual, artistic lessons. And um, I think that's like so very important that we as mothers, that we don't just give children the pablum of our Catholic faith, right? Um, <laughs> that we do give rise to it. And I know that you know, my, my children, my husband, like both of my kids and my husband, they're, they're, they're just much smarter than I am on a cerebral scholastic level. And so I was always sending my, you know, son to the catechism of the Catholic church. I'm like, okay, go talk to your father because I knew there was more and I wasn't able to give it because my faith was, you know, devote, like I was born in Poland on the Right. On the same day as St. John Paul II uh, on, uh, on Pentecost Sunday, right? Like, what a gift. <laughs> 
and so, you know, my faith was and is, um, you know, not as cerebral, but my children need the cerebral. And what I loved about Josephine's books and what I love about them is that they do both, right? They, they touch the child on a children's level, but if they also give the child the sense of the depth and the beauty of um, our Catholic faith. So um, please, you know, I don't get anything out of you buying Josephine's books, right? So, but I, I encourage you just please, please, please um, get them for your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, your, your godchildren. Um, and, you know, rather than a gift card to Toys R Us or just something lame, like to give something that has some substance and some beauty and elevates our Catholic faith. Um, now, something else that Lynette said that I really, I wanna stress here, Lynette all the way from uh, Hawaii, she says that your faith is inspiring and contagious. Oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, what I want to stress to each of you joining us today is when we're kind of obsessively, passionately encouraging you to start a Catholic moms group, that's why we're doing it, right? Because I know that when I meet another Catholic mom, like Josephine, like you, Lynette, like you, Martine, like you, Michelle, that it's like sitting around a campfire and it fuels me. Because if I go to Sherway Gardens or if I turn on, um, you know, turn to the Toronto Star, I know I'm just going to see crazy liberal propaganda. And so these mothers' groups, they really serve to fuel, inspire, um, and, and, you know, like there was a time where I didn't know any other Catholic mothers besides my own mother, right? Mm -hmm. And I say that in North America, it's probably more important to have Catholic moms groups than maybe it is in Portugal or in Italy or in Poland, because in Portugal and Italy and Poland, yes, you know, it's becoming a little bit more liberal, but at the same time, you know that Maria down the street practices the faith. You know that Zosha and Krakow, she fasts. And so it feeds you, right? And in North America, United States, we, we need these Catholic moms groups so we can feel that passion. We can feel the reality of our Blessed Mother, that we can remain true to our convictions, and that if we hardened our hearts towards our own children, that these mothers groups, that they help like soften, you know, like, I don't know about you, but I was influenced quite dramatically by the feminist movement and became quite, I remember when I had my first child, one of my clients said to me, I, I was a, a coach for um, a speaking coach for people that give talks. And I was a, a coach to a superintendent. And he goes, you know what, Dorothy, since becoming a mother, you've become a lot nicer. Thanks, Thank you. So we really, really encourage you. Um, and, you know, when I hosted mothers groups in the back in the day I was only hosting them once a month I'm not saying you've got to do them every week or twice a week like I always say if you can pour your love mm -hmm. into a meeting once a month and create this beautiful feeling you're going to change your parish you're going to change your parish um okay 
So, how do I begin to tell the story of how great I love? So, Josephine, uh, do you have any closing thoughts for? Oh, I just just sending a lot of love and and encouraging moms to to teach children also the the mystical side of religion. Let let them appreciate. I we you know I. When I took my daughter from um, her CCD classes and decided to do that religious education at home, it was when she brought home a book that said, and Mary had a little baby and dressed him in baby clothes and laid him in the crib. And I thought, oh my gracious, this is devoid of, of the, the mysticism that Our Lady of the Virgin Birth, that Our Lady wrapped him in swaddling to prefigure his helplessness in the blessed sacrament that he's at our disposal and that she laid him in a manger in a place where where animals come to eat where creatures come and we are his creatures i said this is absolutely divine so i because i wanted her to understand the deeper mystical meaning of things i pulled her from that program and this is what i would want to encourage mothers to do is to have the if you if you love the faith you can impart that to your children. You can make them love it. So that even really later, if they go off in, in one crooked direction or another, deep down in them is this foundation that's always telling them, and of course we know the, the power of the conscience, that's always bringing them back and just pray for them always. Just the same way that I, that no rejection letter could stop me. No prayer, no prayer goes unheard and God eventually accepts your, accepts your book. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, um, you know, and we want to remind moms through these meetings that you have a sacred mystical role like you, you know your, your job isn't just to uh, you know wash dishes do laundry get on the go train do your job come back um, like we've become so busy and so exhausted that sometimes we forget the essence and the purpose of of our existence yeah yes. as mothers and that we're called to turn to our blessed mother that our mother wants to dispense graces to yeah. us and how oh, to yeah. mother our children. And, um, you know, it always breaks my heart too when I hear mom say, I'm done, I'm done. Like, I'm like, you're done? Does that mean you're not open to God anymore? Like, you're <laughs> done? Like, really? You're done, right? Like, is God done? That's what I want to know. Is God done? <laughs> done. But, you know, it's what we said earlier when we were talking privately that, that it's almost as though mothers and kids hardly stand a chance today. They're so bombarded with so much, you know, it's, uh, you know, when we say Jesus became sin, he took on sin. I always wonder what was that moment? Because he was sinless, he had an awareness of he could see the things that happened in the dark in the night and the he could see all the horrible disgusting things that human beings are capable of capable of when using that faculty that makes them like god using their will they thwart god's will 
And it's they make that faculty is what makes them like makes them godlike, and they bring they let evil enter into the world. And I wonder that moment how when Jesus was was just covered in all this this slime and filth of of, of our sins, that this is what happens to mothers and families today. That we are so exposed on TV, in bad books, on the internet, uh, in music. We're so exposed to things that we would never even have dreamed of that we take on those sins and we get more and more and more dark and more and more hard and more discouraged. So what we have to do is push back. We have to avoid as much as we can those other things. But if we can't avoid them because you're at a job where they're playing that music all day long or whatever, if you can't or your children are, you know, are, are surrounded by, by friends who invite them to a birthday party and then show hor horrific movies like horror movies and murder and things like this, if it's very hard to avoid, avoid them, we have to instill in the children, this is, that is not the reality. The reality is one, that God will have his day and and goodness and love will will um triumph in the end and that is our true reality that we know that god's already won so don't just don't get pulled by the pulled into the cesspool of this of this world and don't get discouraged by it and don't don't Think for a minute that it's that it's that it's real. The real world is the other world. And you know, when Our Lady appeared to Bernadette, people say she said, you know, I can't make you happy in this world, but in the next. No, she didn't say la prochaine. She said l'autre. She said the other world because there are only two worlds: this one and that world. So we are we are waiting for the for the for Jesus's return. It will happen. He's God. He can't lie. The kingdom will come. The world the world we will be living again in a sinless state. If we keep that in mind, we won't be distracted and 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 pulled aside by all the counterfeit stuff. But this is how the devil works. You know, he just tries to fill us up with all this dark stuff and this so that, we, that our minds, yeah, just ruminate on that. But we have to remember that that's, that's smoke and mirrors. And the reality is goodness. And the reality is love. And the reality is what will happen to us. We don't know when, but God promised and it will happen to us. Yeah, and, and our lady has it. Ha it's happened already to her. Yes, and and you know, it would almost require a, another meetup with you. But I'm thinking, <laughs> like here you are, you know, a, a woman that's lived in the Hamptons in New York, a woman that's lived in Amalfi Coast, a woman yes. that's now living, <laughs> you know, in Portugal, steps away from from Fatima. Oh. I would love at one point to hear how you just created this beautiful life you know oh, uh, do we have what oh we have do we have a minute for me to say a minute, a minute okay that even in these places where i've lived there is terrible stuff going on there's oh you go into fatima there are you know I, now they're closed it's covid but there are fortune tellers there there's, you know, there's a drug problem here. There's cohabitating here. Oh no, there are people who say that 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 what the miracle of the sun. There are people here who say the miracle of the sun was hallucination. 
Oh no, wherever we go, we're always going to find the influence of the evil one. No matter how, I mean, I love to live in a beautiful place because I like to look out the window and it's beautiful and I go, okay, God, I'm holding on to this. But the reality around us, the human, that the human will uh, allows in is, is very damaged in every place, even in the most beautiful place on earth. Oh, so there's a sobering reminder. Um, yes. I never, I'll, I'll never forget. I, I was on the Amalfi Coast once in my life for one day and I was like, <gasps> uh, anyway, I wanna thank everybody for joining us today. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Lynette. Thank you, Martine. Thank you, Vesna. Um, thank you, Michelle. Just all of you, a big, big, big warm thank you. Um, I, I don't, I know I didn't mention this the last time we had Midday Moms, but I, I am going to ask each and every one of you for prayers. Um, my daughter is planning a whirlwind wedding on September the 17th <laughs> this year, 2021. <laughs> 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 and so uh, just pray for her, pray for me, just in terms of, you know, all those little details that... Yes. That needs millions of details. <laughs> oh, the details. so and they're uh, a speeding train toward the wedding. Yeah, well, because she had to postpone it so many times during COVID, oh, yeah. and then she said, yeah. "Mom, I don't care anymore. I'm getting married in September. That's it." Oh, I'm like, ah, okay, I know. And Dorothy, I'm sure that your life and your marriage has been an amazing model for her for her to want to do this, to go through all this stress, to do it so quickly, because she knows that she wants to begin that life. She yeah. wants to have that herself. So well, it's a, it's, I'm not sure, like, you know, obviously we're, we're human, we're sinners, we're certainly not, uh, we're certainly not perfect. <laughs> so uh, we've got a lot, well, we, we well, we say we met at St. Michael's Cathedral as lectors, my husband and I, so, um, anyway, anyway, so, and, and my daughter and her, uh, you know, beloved, as I like to say, uh, they met at youth group at St. Casimir's Parish. So it's, and it's, it's all good. Um, it's all good. So, thank you. so please uh, keep uh, my family, my daughter, myself, my husband, my son, keep us in your prayers. Please keep Josephine in your prayers. If you enjoyed today's session, um, I would encourage you to make a donation through PayPal to our ministry because <laughs> we, we need it. Um, please pray for the new mothers groups that are starting. And, um, and just, I would ask you this evening to pray a full rosary for Josephine's intentions. Um, being a Catholic creative, creative and putting yourself on the limb in the face of the naysayers and, you know, it's not easy. Um, no. and, and I'm not going to get into all of the details, but always, everything always looks perfect from the outside, but people suffer to get to where they are. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I, I'm just going to ask you to, to pray for Josephine, pray a full rosary for her, pray for the book, it's successful oh, launch. Thank you. Thank you. And, um, and as I usually do towards the end, I'm so glad we had this time together.
just to have a laugh and pray a prayer seems we just get started and before you know it comes a time we have to say so long goodbye everybody bye everyone bless bless everyone god bless you so much love you for joining us thank you all of us for joining us today and uh as i like to say you pray for me and i pray for you okay 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 please when we pray for each other love you okay take care bye-bye